This may be my favorite podcast interview yet. I am thrilled to bring Erin Deal to you. Erin's company runs workshops leveraging improv techniques to improve employee skills in corporate settings. That's right. She brings improv to the corporate world. And I told her, and you'll hear this in the interview, that to me a few years ago sounded like putting ketchup on an apple. But actually turns out improv in the corporate setting is a lot more like apple and peanut butter, it actually works really, really well together. In fact, Erin and her company are eight years in the making. They're really successful, work with clients such as United Airlines, PepsiCo, Groupon, Deloitte, Motorola, Walgreens, and even the Obama Foundation. And I know some lucky few on her team have actually met Obama in one of her workshops. So she is also a self-proclaimed failfluencer, which we're absolutely going to talk about. You hear us chat about failing, seeing failure as a gift, letting go of control, playing and going along with situations that are unexpected and so much more. I loved everything that she shares and she's just a super fun person. In fact, I just love to pack a bag pick her up and go on a girl's trip and I'd be sure it would be the best weekend of my life. But a lot of unexpected surprises, positivity and laughter and you're going to find out why that is and what she has to say about improv and how improv helps leaders develop themselves and get better in their leadership roles but also helps teams collaborate well, communicate well and create a safe work environment. I'm thrilled to bring this conversation to you so let's dive in. Here's the question. How do you successfully transition into your first official leadership role, build the confidence and competence to lead your team successfully, and establish yourself as a respected and trusted leader across the organization? That's the question, and this show provides the answers. Welcome to the Manager Track Podcast. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw, and I'm on a mission to create workplaces where work is not seen as a source of stress and dread, but as a source of contribution, connection, and fulfillment. And this transition starts with developing a new generation of leaders who know how to lead so everyone wins and grows. In this show, you learn how to think, communicate, and act as the confident and competent leader you know you can be. Let's do it. And then I want to talk about improv. Yes. Like, oh, all the things. <laughs> I'm here for it. Okay. Ramona, I am here for you. Okay. We got to keep the singing in. Okay. Welcome, <laughs> Welcome to the Manager Track Podcast. This is Erin Deal on the show today. Thanks so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always here for this conversation, Ramona. Always. Yeah. Prepared, ready and prepared to succeed and to fail. And we're going to talk about that. Yes. <laughs> a lot of people might not know this. I was on your podcast recently, which you said is going to come out soon, about the time of this recording, at least. And that was a really fun conversation. Erin and I seem to have a lot in common. So you'll notice that as we go through the show. But one thing that she did with me was, well, tell me five things that are not on your bio. And I listened to about seven of her podcasts before I was I just got to her podcast, which you'll find in the show notes. And I listened to them and I thought it was so fun. And then she asks this question to every guest on the podcast. And yet I sit there, I'm like, I got notes for everything else, but I did not prepare for that question or not adequately. So I'm, I was totally improvising. And now it's your turn. And you yes. said you didn't prepare. So I did it. I what did are it. the five things? And I'm going to do it like Erin style. She's like, okay, one, 
Yes. Okay. One. <laughs> this one is fun. I always use this one. I was on The Price Is Right, and no I way. yes, and I I had never seen this show before, and I came on down with Drew Carey, and I won a bird bath and thirty two wine glasses, which I did not claim because you have to pay taxes on that. It's so fun. So, okay, I lived in a high rise in Chicago. I was like, I don't need a bird bath. <laughs> Give me the wine glasses. All right, two. Two, okay. I oh my gosh, a, that's so nice. This is something though that you'll know because it's just very obvious, but I am obsessed with the color teal. It is my life color. It mm-hmm. is my happy color. So literally, I have an annoying amount of things that are teal, but you could see that from talking to me right now. Yeah, check out the YouTube. You'll, yes. you'll see that everything's teal up. All that wearing like, don't show that. It's too much. Yeah, it's too much. I literally <laughs> forgot that my headphones were teal and I'm wearing a teal top. Okay, three. Yeah, mm-hmm. I went skydiving on my husband's 30th birthday. Mm-hmm. And this was a while ago. And um, it was probably the coolest thing I've ever done in my life and will probably never do again. (laughs) Especially once you have kids. Like, yeah, let me think about this again. Yep. Nope. Nope. Um, Four. I have gone to almost actually every state in the United States except for South and North Dakota. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting fact there. Yeah. And that that's a, a lot of travel, though. A lot of travel. And here's number five that's a follow-up to that. Mm-hmm. I traveled most of the country in a yellow ambulance in my 20s. No way. Yeah. So fun. It was a really fun. I worked for this marketing agency based out of New York. It was on a campaign called Verb. And it was trying to get teens and tweens physically active. So uh-huh. we traveled the country in a yellow ambulance literally passing out these yellow balls and i drove a yellow ambulance like in many many states and then after that i went on another tour for the same agency and we went to every major college rivalry football game in the country during football season and i did that in a 16-foot box truck and i drove it (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh i wanted to have that job i was doing spreadsheets in front of a computer <laughs> in my 20s. Yes. <laughs> Just like comparing job choice. Right? Listen, it's oh we gosh, I, so I do spreadsheets now. So I went yeah. from the road to a spreadsheet. <laughs> okay. So we we're we're I I feel right. you. There's <laughs> maybe in my 50s I will do crazy stuff and I will travel around in a yellow emergency truck. <laughs> so fun. Okay, so talking about improv and your company. One of the things that I find is really interesting is you work in organizations, right? So I think before I knew about this work in organizations, I knew about improv and theater, obviously, but that was something that people do who are extroverted, people who have a lot of courage and self-confidence and they want to play and, you know, they're artists to some extent. And I heard this more and more, people would do improv workshops in organizations and I thought, No, no, no. That's like me putting ketchup on an apple, but it does work so well. So tell us how are companies benefiting from doing improv? Yes. My three-year-old has put ketchup on an apple before and eaten it. And it doesn't, I'm not, not really a fan, not a fan, (laughs) not a fan. So it's so interesting because 
a lot of times when people think of the word improv, they get really nervous. They get what I like to call the ick factor, which is where you become really sweaty. Your armpits mm. get really grossed out. You need a strong antiperspirant deodorant. And you think, oh my gosh, I can't make things up on the spot. When in reality, we are making things up every single day. This conversation is improv, one-on-one -on -one meetings, coaching calls, team meetings, everything is improvised and you can follow a loose script, but you're always gonna go off book. And that's really where the magic happens. So for me, I actually was terrified of improv, just to give you kind of context. I grew mm -hmm. up singing, not well, dancing and acting in sketch comedy my entire life. Mm -hmm. When I graduated from college, I moved to Chicago and I was cast in this off-Broadway show that had a very loose script, was so improv-based. So I had to immerse myself in this world of improv. I'll tell you what, I was terrified of it, terrified. And every mm -hmm. time I would go to class, I would get that, what I call ick factor. I would feel yeah. so sweaty, so nervous in my own skin, a lot of sweat talk here. And what I found is as a type A, I call myself a recovering perfectionist turned Philfluencer. Mm, yeah, we're gonna talk about that. Yes, when you let go of that control and the need to control, that is literally where the magic happens in life, not just in business. So when I started immersing myself in improv, I was working at a recruiting firm. I was doing business development at a recruiting firm. And mm -hmm. I will tell you literally door slammed in my face. Like talk about like not a hypothetical door. I had a door in my nose once because recruiting is a hard job. Selling recruiting services are even harder. And I started really diving into improv at this time and noticing everything I do in my class and in rehearsal and on shows spill over in my day to day. I was becoming mm. a better listener. I was more empathetic. I was more present. I was thinking more quickly on my feet. All of those things were just boom, 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 right on top of each other. So I said, okay, I am going to really start leaning into this idea of using improv at work and at the time, my boss, who is still one of my greatest mentors today, said, this is a great idea. Why don't you pilot this program to United Airlines, pun intended, pilot it up. So I mm -hmm. did. And then I really just, because of my own undertaking of witnessing the transformation mm -hmm. of knowing the art form and putting it into context in a business sense, mm -hmm. knew it could help so many other people. And... Mm -hmm. It's my life's work. I have seen teams walk in 20 individuals and walk out a cohesive group of people. I have witnessed hundreds of people do the same thing. It's the most magical teaching tool that I know that helps break down barriers, postpone judgment, make people be more present and allow people to feel seen, heard, and valued. And truly the best teaching tool I know. That is amazing. I think we're all sold. <laughs> where do we sign where up? Do we sign sign up? up. I know. Yeah, I know. I, on your podcast, I was telling you that, or when we were chatting, I said, I, I'm more <laughs> scared of improv than I was of skydiving because sky, skydiving is like nothing I could do wrong, but <laughs> improv, improv, I feel like I could do a lot of things wrong. But you spoke about something that I thought, uh, and by the way, all the things that you listed are 100% things that a lot of my clients and people I talk to day in and day out want to get better at. And they practice and they use different tools to improve in these areas. And I think improv 
is something that many of us don't think about as a go-to solution. And one of the things that you said in terms of benefits, the listening and the presence and the communication, what I'm hearing too is how do I communicate in a way that sets other people up for success? Like Mm. in improv, right? You don't set people up for failure. And that creates like an underlying sort of this safety. Oh, you talk about the cohesive group. And I think there's probably a level of safety that was built and the trusting the other people will have my back. And therefore, if I fail, it'll be okay, right? So failure is not the point. It's like knowing that I'm going to be okay, even if I fail or when I fail. That's it. It's this whole mindset. And that's funny. You say the words got your back. When I go on stage or right before a workshop or anything with my team, who are Mm -hmm. some of the most hilarious improvisers in the world, by the way, there's Mm -hmm. 22 of them and they are all so funny trained at the major schools of comedy we will pat each other on the back before we walk in a room and say got your back got your back got your back got your back because we let each other know we're not going to let you down i'm going to pick you up if you need me and and i'll do the same for you vice versa it is a two-way street this idea one of the biggest rules of improv is yes and so yes Mm -hmm. i hear you I'm not going to negate what you said. I'm not going to make you feel dumb. I'm going to make you look like a poet, a genius, a scholar by Mm -hmm. not agreeing, but complimenting what you said and adding to it. And so that's how scenes are built on stage. And if you pull that same construct from the stage to a business setting, that's how Mm -hmm. great teams function. It's when the leader takes the rank and the title away from their title and says, hey, all voices in this room should be heard, throw mm-hmm. out ideas and let's, no one's idea is a bad idea. We're just going to take them and we're going to build them together. And that's what mm-hmm. makes people want to show up to work when they feel seen, heard and valued. And then we all know what happens then. Productivity rises, people, organizations thrive. It's this concept that's so It sounds so easy in theory, but is so rarely done correctly in a business setting. And it's a joy to witness it happen because you Mm -hmm. it's so it's free. It is a free tool and it's so easy to do. Let's boil it down to some of the core principles, because, you know, I talk a lot about having leadership principles, but this may be more of a, a, a team principle. When we say I got your back. Um, or I'm going to compliment what you say. I'm not going to judge what you say. Uh, it changes the complete dynamic in a, in a team. What else would you say are some of the mindset, like behind the improv, the tactical, what you actually say and what you do in the moment? What are the thoughts or the attitudes that you go into a conversation like this and that you then also want to bring home and back into communication with your team? Yeah, so... There's many, many components and many rules of improv. Every school of comedy has its own, let's say, ideal or idea of what great improv is, but the principles of it remain the same. So number one, there's no no. You literally use yes and as an opportunity to move things forward. Two, it's give and take. So you're not the one dominating the conversation. You're allowing the other person an opportunity to talk. We also say in improv, play to the top of your intelligence. So take what you know and apply it. 
and don't let in those limiting beliefs that we might all have as, as human beings and as people that imposter syndrome that comes in on a day-to-day basis take that throw it out the window and just play with what you know because you have life experience and you know a lot all these things are direct lifts from classes and schools of thought of improv and they are just so awesomely applied in the school of life they are fundamentals that and this is why i was so attracted to improv in general was that Mm -hmm. number one you can be yourself you don't Mm -hmm. have to be anybody else and you can also play characters you can Mm -hmm. also go into this world that you want to create with other people and you can't pre-plan you cannot write down a script because it's not going to work you Mm -hmm. have to listen and be present in the moment and react to the last thing said in Mm -hmm. order to make a scene move forward and so it was really like this whole like you said improv was scary more than skydiving Mm -hmm. was scary to me too i was terrified Mm -hmm. And so it started to really become like exposure therapy the more that I did it because I worked that muscle of letting go, of letting go. Like I'm trying to think of it in context. So like right now, if you see me sitting back in my chair like this, mm-hmm. I'm having some posture issues, right? And so my need to, to control my shoulders is always like, I'm always sitting with my shoulders up high, close to my ears, if you can't see me. Mm-hmm. So. I'm trying to control myself constantly by pushing my shoulders down. When in theory, if I just let go of control in general, I'm mm-hmm. probably not gonna have my shoulders hunched because I'm not gonna be stressed. I'm gonna trust that everything's going to happen around me for me because I'm putting trust in myself and the people that I surround myself with. That was a really metaphorical way to say mm-hmm. in improv, you have to trust that the people around you are gonna do their part and trust yeah. yourself. It, there's so many sort of rabbit holes I could go down of this well, art form. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about control. Because I think that, you know, a lot of people that are in my audience are new managers, or I want to say in their first five years or so of their leadership career. And they know that they have to kind of prove themselves as leaders to their team members. Some of them might have been former peers uh, to their boss, who's going to look at are they actually cut out to be a leader? Did I make a good choice with hiring them or promoting them? And then do the rest of the organization do look at, are they going to actually become leaders who are culture carriers or that we want to promote and build and grow as part of our succession plan inside the organization? So senior leaders are watching, the direct manager is watching, the coworkers are watching, the director boards are watching. And it's easy to go into that place and think, oh my gosh, so much pressure. And I'm like... <laughs> I'm tensing my muscles just saying that and feeling like I got to control things and I got to make sure everything looks good and everything runs well. And if something doesn't, I have to really try to fix it or pretend it's not there. You know, we have different approaches to that. So how does learning how to let go of control in an improv situation actually help us be better leaders in organizations? Oh my God. I'm like witnessing this as my own self being a leader for Mm -hmm. eight years. You know, I've seen it time and time again, because we coach emerging leaders, we train, we develop teams that start from interns to senior leaders. And I've witnessed it time and time again, where the person who has the tightest hold actually has the loosest control of the group in general. Mm -hmm. 
I myself had to learn this in the very beginning of building Improve It. I am type A, like I am. It's just who I am. I like lists. I like checklists and I like Mm -hmm. to see things a certain way. And I'll never forget this A woman on my team who's still with me. She's our director of talent. I handed over the management of logistics of coordinating our team and staffing our team to her. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to be copied on every single email. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, Erin, I'm never going to do my job well if I feel like you're constantly looking over my shoulder. She was like, you have to trust that I can do this. And I'll never forget that moment because it really made me realize why, what was I doing? She had this fully, she helped me hire these people. They know and trust her. Why do I feel like I need to be a part of this? So the loose, the, the looser I became on my own grip and the more trust I instilled in my team, the more empowered they became. And I have this team now of amazing professionals. They are internally all women. We have male Mm -hmm. facilitators, love them so much, Mm -hmm. but it is a very interesting dynamic because now once I've fully let go, I've watched them blossom and turn into their best selves professionally. Whereas the tighter I was holding them, the tighter their own, their limiting, I was limiting their own career journey is really what Mm -hmm. I was doing. So from even a personal standpoint, I've seen it from an outsider's point of view. I've seen Mm -hmm. teams that feel stifled because Mm -hmm. they can't speak up or they can't connect with their manager or their leader or their team members for that matter, Mm -hmm. because there's so much control. So letting go causes people to feel empowered. So it may be you get a sense of control, like it feels like, no, but I'm doing the right thing because I'm controlling, but you're therefore also controlling the growth of the team in which you're not controlling it in a positive way. You're right. stifling it, right? Totally. That's what you're saying. That's it. Yeah. That was but a it does much more feel... buttoned up way. No, I but just... I... <laughs> <laughs> take the complex. In yeah, I'm like, it. take it. Take it no, down take it. for me. Take it, take it from here No, but here. I think... No, I think it's important because people who do exert control, they think they need that sense of control. Sometimes even I hear my manager say, but my boss says I need to do this. So they sometimes feel like they need to have control and they're being told to do so. And then they actually get a sense of control. Like, yeah, if you're CC'd on all emails, you probably feel more in control than if you're not. Yeah. But that also means the end product that you want isn't controlled. The end product is a great outcome or a great product or a great delivery to a client. No one's business aims for control, right? That's like a means to the end, which usually doesn't work. Yeah, it affects it. And it's also tiring from a leadership perspective, like even in that scenario, like you're on all those emails. You don't, there's like 20 more emails Mm -hmm. in your inbox. Like that's time out of your own day. If you got out of your own way, you could just allow that person to thrive and you could thrive in the area that you're supposed to thrive in. Yeah. And let me, can I speak to this too? Like on a life level, Yeah. I find that when I try to control things in my own life, they just don't happen the way that I think that they should. And mm-hmm. I have recently found when I say to the universe, whatever, whoever, mm-hmm. I'm getting real, real woo-woo here, but when I let go of the tight hold that I have on, let's say, clients coming in the door or things, accolades and awards that we want to win, when I let go of that and I say, just do 
what you want with us. Like, let us do the good that we are here to do. So much more happens on a life level when you don't try to control every single thing in front of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and it's totally interesting. I'm always fascinated by that too. And I think I needed to hear that today, by the way. <laughs> well, I, I heard it uh, last week and I'm going to tell you, I did a, I'm a little woo-woo person. I, I meditate a lot and I meditated about it. And I got to tell you, Ramona, it was crazy. The shift it made in my week, like things just happened that I was unexpected or not expecting yeah. in a great yeah. way. Cause I was just like, all right, well, it's, this is where we're supposed to go. But I was holding yeah. some stuff real tight for a long time. So yeah, yeah. See, I need to too. But then I'm going to be sort of the devil's advocate on this. How do we know when to let go and when letting go is a pretty cover for a cover up for winging it or for being a little bit more passive than we probably should be? Totally. Okay. Same conversation that I just told you about. Same thing that I was saying. I let go. I told my husband this because some really great things came to fruition last week. I said, I let go. (laughs) I told the universe, I'm ready. Take me wherever. And it just happened. And he said, how about that's the truth. And Mm -hmm. you have been working really hard. You're prepared. You have been trying to accomplish these goals for several years and they finally came to fruition. So I do think that when you say the words letting go, it doesn't mean giving up. Like you've got this, let's say you have um, a project due at work and you're like, I'm just going to let go and it'll come to me when it comes. No. Aaron's had to meditate. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go to closet and it'll it'll magically show up on your desktop. It's a matter of not necessarily having to dot every I, cross every T to, like I always say, progress, not perfection. As mm-hmm. a recovering perfectionist, Mm -hmm. The letting go for me is letting go of the control for it to be perfect. Mm -hmm. It's letting go of the need to overachieve, be the best, do X, Y, Z. That's my version of letting go. And it doesn't, Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of people hear that and it doesn't mean that you can't, that you should not do the work. It just means do the work with the understanding that you are you are putting yourself in a position to bring something to the table whether it be this project whether it be you know these emails that you're writing and seeing people on and you're doing it with ease and with and the more you have i always say this too if you can measure the amount of success in your day by the amount of fun that you're having your Mm -hmm. days will be so successful. So Mm -hmm. allowing joy to come through is what I really mean with letting go. It's not holding things so tightly and taking things so seriously, but still doing the work, but with an attitude of this is fun. I'm adding something to the world by contributing to this project, by doing this thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that also brings to the point, like we have so much influence over how we see things and what we pay attention to. If I measure my success, not by how much I can check off my to-do list, but how much fun I had, I'll probably go about my days very differently. And nothing other than my mindset changed in the process. 
That's or what I focus it. on. Yeah. Yeah. And in the beginning of Improve It, I also remember what girl my team saying, I, I, I got to tell you, I've had some mindset shifts over the years. It's And I was not always this woo-woo of a human being. Mm. A lot of self-reflection. I'll tell you just honestly, it came through a lot of infertility issues. I was having so, my son is a miracle baby. Yeah, wow. Through that, I found mindfulness and meditation and I have completely changed my outlook on life because of it. And in the beginning of Improve It, I was always stressed. A girl on my team said, I don't know if you're actually stressed or you just feel like being stressed means that you're busy. And so good. I, so good. So, <laughs> so good. good. And that was 10 yeah. years ago she said that. So I remember that. And I used to come in. I was like that person. I lived in Chicago at the time. I would get off the train. I would have stood. I'm talking about armpits again. I would have stood at an armpit for 10 minutes on the train to get to work. I'd have to get off the train, walk 10 minutes in like freezing cold weather and stinking snow boots to get to my office. And then I'd go to Starbucks and I'd stand in the Starbucks line. And I was pissed off. Like every time I got to that Starbucks line, I was mad. And I remember I had a client, this was in my recruiting days, see me in the Starbucks line, but I didn't know it. She told me two days later and she said, Erin, I didn't say hi to you because you look so angry. <laughs> so that's, that's how I used awesome. to show up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so I realized I had to like put that right energy into me yeah. in order to give that right energy out to the people that I was serving and leading mm -hmm. and it changed everything. So, so I want to recap that. She said, I don't know if you're so stressed, if you're actually stressed or if you feel like being stressed is a sign of being busy. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. That was it. it, it I think that, I think it's a question we all should ask ourselves sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm so important. I've got this next meeting. I've got to do yeah. this, 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 um, so, mm -hmm. you know, and now I'm like, busy is not a badge of honor. It is mm -hmm. actually the, I want to have a full plate filled with things that I enjoy, mm -hmm. but I don't want to be busy. I want to mm -hmm. be abundantly satisfied with work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Just and when someone up. says like, oh, you're so busy, for example, they look at my life and it's like, oh, you're so busy. And I was in my mind, I always correct them. Like I have a rich life. I have a rich life with yes. a lot of things and a dog and kids and a business and hobbies and relationships. And it's like, yeah, it's a ha I have a rich life. And I love it. I, I love, love what you said. Like, I want to have a, a, a full plate of things that we enjoy. And then we don't need to control so much either. Speaking of control and having a full plate, let's talk about the whole thing around failure, mm. because a lot of people listening can relate to this idea of being a perfectionist or imposter syndrome and not wanting to fail or doubts running through their mind. So tell us about your failfluencer philosophy. Yes. Okay. So let me just take a step back here. It's 2020. Okay. The first of the year, my business is booming. It's, it's January, February. Life is good. We're a completely mm -hmm. in-person business. March 2020, the world stops. A world that did not have in-person event, uh, events was never a part of my business plan. It was never a risk that I thought I would ever have to calculate. Mm -hmm. So immediately we start thinking, how can we make our business virtual as many businesses did during this time period? 
it was terrible. It was awful. I don't want to go back there. It's like sixth grade. I don't want to repeat it. I had retainers and braces. It was bad. <laughs> so anyway, I'm thinking about how do I show up? What do I want to show up as in the world right now? Because I had not social media. I had not made any of my things public. I had not posted vulnerable posts ever. So I said, I'm going to make it public. I'm going to change my Instagram handle to keeping it real deal. And I'm mm -hmm. going to lean into this idea of failure because I am failing every single day here right now. And I'm failing fast and I'm failing multiple times a day. And I know many people are going to be feeling the same way. Mm -hmm. So the first picture I posted was literally of me crying, which now there's that whole thing about the man, the CEO that was, on that LinkedIn. Was pre, pre, yes, pre that. Okay, pre that. Pre that. <laughs> and um, hashtag and, pre the crying thing. Pre the yeah. crying thing. <laughs> and but I'm, you know, I'm letting other people know that they are not alone. And so for me, there's a rule in improv which I didn't mention before. There are mm. no mistakes, only gifts. So mm. anything that happens on stage in an improv scene is not a mistake. It actually becomes a part of the scene. So for example, if you and I were just chatting right now and I spilled water from my teal water cup on my computer and I said, crap, I'm not just gonna let that sit there, obviously. I'm gonna start cleaning it up and you're gonna see it. So I'm gonna say, crap, oh my God. Ramona, <laughs> craps is my favorite game to play in Vegas. Have you ever been? Have, let's do a girl's trip. So like, and I'm cleaning up my water, yeah. making this a part of the scene, right? Yeah. Same with life. So instead of just sitting there and saying, okay, I'm going to let 2020 just come and hit me in the face. No, I'm going to allow it to be a part of my life. And I'm going to talk about it. And I'm going to fail fluence because I was not, I'm not an influencer. Okay. I guess I, mm -hmm. I have a podcast too, whatever, but I'm not, I'm not here to sell you know, tea that makes you lose weight. I'm here mm -hmm. to make you feel like you are not alone. And mm -hmm. I'm here to make you feel like failing is okay. And so I really leaned into this idea. I have this saying behind me, you see it says fail, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I really realized that failing frequently helped me with success. It was the mm -hmm. fundamental of success for me because through 2020, we created so many new revenue streams for our business. Mm -hmm. We kept almost all of our people and some people moved, so things changed, but we literally tried our best to survive. I would not call it thriving. And the outcome sitting here in 2022 is a beautiful group of human beings who I'm so proud to have, who I get to work with every single day, who now have multiple ways to facilitate and bring mm -hmm. the laughter, levity, positivity that we do to the world. And if it wasn't for this idea of just throwing things out there and seeing what sticks, we would not have been, we, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And it's just, it's so crazy. So, um, you know, it has been the through line and, and I will say that 2020 was the hardest year of my life ever. I also like through that time period, I had a one-year-old. Yeah. Um, we moved across the country to be closer to my family. My mom had a stroke and was in is literally in ICU and in rehab for seven to eight weeks during COVID. I couldn't see her. Like oh it was gosh. like a crazy time while keeping this business together. And it so Phil Fluencing is truly um 
it's I think it's my calling because I've always been self-deprecating too. So it's for me, it's it's very freeing to be like, oh, yeah, fail, yeah, fail for, you know, and if yep, if you allow your team to do that, yep, and you lead from this place of it's okay. You're yep. not a robot. Yeah, totally okay. They're going to be okay, number one, with admitting defeat. Number yeah. two, there's gonna be so much more innovation because they're allowed to try. Totally, totally. When you talked about, oh, and then, you know, March March came and everything changed. And I had this visual of like, oh, imagine Truman Show. And then it's just like you're on stage. Yeah. Truman stage. And March 2020 comes and someone, and you're doing improv on the stage and someone's throwing COVID at you, right? It's yes. like, <laughs> and I got to say like, no failure. It's just, yes, and. Yes. yes. And what are we going to do? Right. And so we're all picking each other up as we're like throwing COVID from one to the other and <laughs> trying to figure out what to do with this. Oh but God. that added, I can see how that transpires into so many areas of our lives when we start to see it as that and cultivate an environment and a culture in our team where that's yeah, failure. Like you said, you're not a robot. Yeah. The thing. And we started doing failure parties, okay, during this time. So mm -hmm. you know how you have a vision board and you create goals mm -hmm. on this vision board? Well, we would do the opposite. We would do failure boards. So we would like take little clips from the internet and make a PowerPoint and we would do a <laughs> little Zoom meetings and everybody would share their professional and personal fails and we would be like, fail, yeah, yeah. after every <laughs> single thing. And it was liberating. Honestly, it's so liberating because I'm going to make a mistake. I've made a thousand mistakes during my time leading Improve It. I'll make another one tomorrow. Like, and yeah. you know, if you don't learn yeah. from them and see them as opportunities to do better, then you've missed the point. Yeah. Or you're not, your goals are not high enough, right? I think when, yeah. whenever we are feeling too comfortable um, and we think like, we got it. Like I am happy 80% of the time, all is going well, I'm successful 90% of the time. Then we may be like, yeah, maybe push the limits a bit. Yeah. That's Something it. Goals. So get comfortable. 50, 50. Yeah. Yep. Get comfy with that. So I'm comfy. <laughs> totally. That should go on a pillow. Yeah. Um, what I have one last question before we wrap. Tell me your thoughts around humor in the workplace. I have sort of heard a range of different thoughts about this. And I also have a bit of different opinions about using humor. Um, and I think I have a different answer for men than I do for women, generally speaking. But I want to hear your take on humor in the workplace. Oh, I think use it. Well, wait, I have to go back to your humor. You just give me that genius idea. I want to make a pillow that says that. Get comfy <laughs> with the uncomfy. Okay, so let's, first of all, everybody's going to have pillows at their chair. These are going to be lumbar pillows for your chair for my back Sorry. problems. And they're going to say get comfy. Oh, we just created a new product line on this show. Um, so, okay, humor in the workplace. I think when appropriate, like there's there's humor, there's self-deprecating, there's different types of humor. Mm -hmm. We got a three-year-old potty humor, you know, mm -hmm. that's that's one version. You've got various free, you've got various versions of humor in life. Mm -hmm. As long as the humor is not creating a space that does not have psychological safety, as long as you feel mm -hmm. safe. You feel mm -hmm. supported. You are not being bullied. You feel like you belong. And we are creating conversation that uses laughter, levity, and positivity. Mm -hmm. I think humor at work is great. I don't think humor that 
points fingers at any person that is different. I don't think humor that is, I actually kind of get annoyed with some of the internet memes about work because mm -hmm. I see the people who do them and I, I respect them, but I also think it creates a lot of negativity. So I think as long as humor has, in my opinion, an uplifting side and it's not polarizing, Mm -hmm. or making somebody feel excluded, then I think it's great because it breaks down barriers. When we laugh, we mm -hmm. become more comfortable. And that's mm -hmm. how I teach is through laughter. So it's almost like we're tricking people, which sounds mean, into learning because we're making mm -hmm. them laugh and connect. And I think laughter can connect us. I think it can create commonalities that even in the most different of people we can see through a laughter lens but I don't like the negative type of humor that can exist. And I don't like it if it's exclusive and mm -hmm. it makes people feel bad. Uplifting humor is, is I think always a plus. Yeah. But I, but I don't like the negative side. Yeah. I love how you framed that. And I think it's something just, I hardly ever talk about humor on this podcast. So I'm glad we touched on this with you as an expert in this field. <laughs> and I think sometimes people aren't aware of the distinction of what is humor that is appropriate and what is humor that's probably having a negative effect. Overall, it might be funny in the moment for some people, but not everyone in the room and could really tear down sort of the spirit overall Great. or not quite a, a safe place. Yeah. So true. Okay. So let's recap. Like you shared some golden nuggets, tons of them. And in the very beginning, I want to go back to that and just hone in on it one more time. You said when we use improv as a training tool that then becomes applicable or allows us to replicate similar practices or behaviors in the workplace, or we improve on, what was that? We improve ourselves, <laughs> our culture, our productivity. Yeah, we become get better listeners. Yes. Oh, okay. There it is. I'm like, what did yeah. I say? <laughs> I don't know. Half the time it comes out of this trap. We become better listeners. We become more empathetic. We become more present in the moment. And we have the ability to think more quickly on our feet. Yeah. Love it. I had to recap my own recap. I don't even, Yeah. you know, so that took me back. Took me back. So good. Though. And I think it's like a big part also is that creating a positive environment where people have each other's back and feel like seen, cared for, respected the way that they are. Don't feel like they have to worry about making mistakes and so forth. Totally. And that's okay. the goal. That's the goal that's with improv. Yep. So anyone who wants this, how can I find you? Love it. So you can go to our website, www. That's the World Wide Web. Uh, <laughs> learn to improve it.com. And then uh, you have to check out Ramona on the Improve It podcast. We'll link and to that as well. Yeah, yes, totally. It's going to be episode 122 of the Improve It pod. So that will come out very soon while we're recording this next week. And you can check me out on LinkedIn as the only Aaron deal at Improve It or Keeping It Real Deal on the gram. On the gram, I think you should on the, on the gram, gram. Because, the... you know, Aaron is really funny. So, God bless. Thank you. I know. It's funny the things that, <laughs> like, you can do on LinkedIn and then the things that you can do on Instagram. They just feel like two different worlds, but I blur them. I still post on LinkedIn some of my stuff because I'm like, you know what? <laughs> this is life now. Keeping it real on yes. both sides. Totally. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on. Um, this was really fabulous. I love the conversation. And I hope that some people, including myself, sort of broken down the barriers to, oh gosh, improv in the workplace. 
Come on. We've turned that from ketchup into peanut butter on apples, which is actually <laughs> a thing that goes really, really well together. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Erin. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, then check out two other awesome resources to help you become a leader people love to work with. This includes my best-selling book, The Confident Incompetent New Manager, which you can find on Amazon or at RamonaShaw.com book and a free training on how to successfully lead as a new manager. You can check it out at RamonaShaw.com masterclass. These resources and a couple more you'll find in the show notes down below.